Good morning, church. Hey, let's try that one more time. Good morning, church. Glad to have you guys with us. Want to welcome those that are joining us in Edgewood as well as online. Uh, This might be a morning to be nestled up in bed. And so if you are there, uh, we're glad to have you hanging out with us. Uh, This is week two in a series called Behold. And uh, last week we reminded one another that this word behold is in our Bibles roughly a thousand times. And when we see it, we are to take uh, note of it and to pay careful attention uh, in the, uh, the word in the Hebrew or the Greek would mean to stand in awe or to be amazed and to ponder or to consider closely. And when you see this word used, uh, you should slow down and, and really make sure that you understand what is coming next. Last week, we talked about what it looks like for us to behold the presence of God, that his power and his, uh, his peace is known for all men, and that if we would look to him, he would change our lives. Matter of fact, we ended with uh, a scripture that uh, we're going to talk about in the coming weeks, which is in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, which just says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, uh, the old has passed away and the new has come. Matter of fact, today I'm wearing a shirt that says, I will never be the same. And the verse we pulled that from is in 2 Corinthians 5.17. The reason I'm wearing this shirt today is because I want you to know that I'm a marked uh, life that has been changed by the grace and the goodness and the presence of God in my life. Also want to let you know that this shirt right now is available to buy. And it would be a great Christmas gift for you and your family members and for anyone else. You can find that at the connection point on both campuses. Uh, But I hope that you uh, wear this shirt as a reminder of God's presence in our lives. And then as we dive in today, that you would behold the peace of God. And that's what we're going to be talking about. But in order for us to be able to even kind of dive into uh, today's message, um, in order to understand the idea of behold, I do think that it's good to do some awareness checking. Uh, Last week, we did an awareness test. Uh, We tested out how many uh, balls were being passed away. And a lot of you in the room, if we're honest, you missed the moonwalking bear. And so today I'm going to give you another chance before we dive into the message to just kind of just a quick awareness test. Yeah, I want you to just kind of get yourself ready, prime the pump uh, for today's message. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to check it out on both campuses as well as at home. So y'all check out, see if you can catch uh, what this gentleman is asking you to do. Here we go. Test just how much attention the attention-stealing design of the new Skoda Fabia actually steals. We left one parked on this ordinary road in West London. We wanted to see if its sharp crystalline shapes, bold lines and lower, wider profile would attract the desired level of attention. Will the 17-inch black alloy wheels stop passers-by in their tracks? Will the angular headlights attract the attention of other road users? Will a crowd gather to check out its fresh, sporty look? Well, not quite. But did the attention-stealing design distract you from noticing that the entire street has been changing right before your very eyes? Don't believe us? Have another look. Did you spot the van changing to a taxi? How about the scooter changing to a pair of bicycles? Or the lady holding a pig? Let alone the fact that the entire street is now completely different. Didn't think so. 
That's crazy, isn't it? How many of you are like, oh, I know something's changed, but I can't quite tell what it is. Yes, that was me. And here's the deal. I knew it was coming. I was just staring at it just like you were because you knew something was coming. Uh, the reality is, is that even though you know something's coming, it still can be difficult to understand. Matter of fact, isn't that what the Jewish people were? See, prophesied hundreds of years before, there was a promise of a Messiah coming. They were to pay attention to it. They were to stand amazed and behold the coming Christ. The challenge was, even though they knew it was coming, they didn't see the shifting landscape around them. And they didn't see what it was that the Christ child was to behold. And so because of that, many missed it. But let's take us back to that time in uh, this, this place called Bethlehem. You might remember uh, there was a census that was going to be taken. And Mary and Joseph uh, knew that they had to go to Bethlehem and leave their little town in Nazareth, uh, Nazareth to go for the census. And so what they did is they loaded up in what seemed like a caravan and they uh, went the distance to Bethlehem. And while it was there, this is what happened. And so if you have your Bibles, you can join me in Luke chapter 2. And I'm going to begin in verse 6 and following. I'm just going to remind you of a story that you've probably heard many times in your life. It says, and while they were there, meaning Mary and Joseph, um, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave her birth to the firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Uh, they, as the shepherds, tending to their flocks nearby, uh, responded in a similar way that anyone else would when they saw this angelic being, and they, they were filled with great fear. But then the angel said to them, fear not, and then look what he says, behold, pay attention, slow down. Stand in amazement and in awe and listen to these words. And he says this, I bring you good news. Good news. The, the news that has been proclaimed to you by the prophets. I, this angel says, I want you to know there's good news of great joy. That will be for you and for all the people. Uh, the angel goes, hey, listen, there is something to, to ponder on, to consider, to stand amazed by. And it is the fact that there is good news, not just for you, but for all the people, for everyone. There is news that you should pay attention to, that you should consider closely. In verse 11, it says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then in verse 12, he says, and this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly then there was a, uh, an angelic multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so the, the angels are in a sense making a proclamation and they are encouraging the shepherds to behold this. There is peace available for all of mankind. The good news is that there is peace and there is joy and there is a promise of God's presence for the world to behold. Verse 15, it says, The angels went away from them into heaven, and the shepherds said to one another, Hey, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And then as they recall the angelic words, they know that not only is there good news of great joy for all the people, 
they also know where this joy and hope is filled. And so they say, hey, let's go to the place that the Lord has made known to us. And which, what is it? A baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And so in verse 16, it says, And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and a baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. I mean, here it is. These shepherds hear this angelic promise of the good news that will, fulfill, that will fill the earth. And that people, mankind, could come to know this promise of great joy and hope. And so they quickly go with haste and they find the Christ child and they're after peace, and they're frantically pursuing it. And so they leave, and they go, hey, let's go and let's find it. And so they go into the city of David, and they begin to share with others there on the scene about what the angels have said and what was the greatest promise. There is good news for all the people. And if you can imagine as they're sharing these things, you would see the response of many as they begin to clamor and talk and they begin to, in some ways, try to behold the message. But look at Mary's response. The very one who also had an angelic account, look at her response because I think this is the response that we should all have. In verse 19, it says, But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart pondering them in her heart. And then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen and all that had been told to them. And so here it is. You see that as everyone else is talking and the shepherds, after seeing all they've seen and sharing all they've shared, they go away. And it's as if Mary is just sitting there and she is treasuring and pondering all the things that she is considering. In some ways, I think about her sitting and I think in some ways it's what we have been talking about so frequently about abiding. That she is just in some ways basking the Lord's presence in the physical manifestation that is before her. This God that was so distant has now made himself known in a tangible form. He has dwelt among us, John 1.14. And now here it is, this baby who has gotten close to humanity to bring joy and peace and hope now sits among her and she ponders it and she treasures it. And the question that you might ask yourself is, well, what all is she pondering? I mean, she's pondering the fact that the Messiah is there? Absolutely. But I think she's also promising the, or, or pondering the promises and the fulfillment of the promises of old. I mean, consider Isaiah 9, 6. 700 years before the Christ child would be born in the city of David, the town of Bethlehem, Isaiah the prophet said these words. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and what? Prince of Peace. And as we think about who he is, this heavenly father who made himself known to us, uh, it's by sending his son, as Philippians 2 would say, that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself and became obedient. As he became obedient to the father, he came so that we might have good news, that he might proclaim to us that the wonderful counselor and the prince of peace is arriving. And as I was reading just this story this week and thinking about what it looks like to have peace in our lives, I looked at the message that all of these characters possessed. 
I mean, I think about the angels, and, and here's what the angels basically teach us, is that peace is a provision um, to those um, that, that, that God loves. And that's what they proclaim in verse 14, when they would say that uh, on the earth there is peace among those whom he is pleased. What the angels say is like, hey, anyone that looks to our Heavenly Father can find a provision of peace. That he desires to give you peace, a fulfillment of the fruit of the Spirit. When we think about Galatians 5, 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Peace is a part of the fruit of what we would get from beholding God in our own lives. Then you think about the shepherds. They hear the the response of, of the good news. They go with haste. And here's what they find. They find that peace is not about presents. It's not about parties. It's not about parades. It's not about plenty. But it's about a person. And they find peace in a person. And where was he? He was wrapped in a manger in swaddling cloths. And that's what they teach us. They teach us that, hey, it's not about scurrying around from place to place. It's not about parties and it's not about presents and it's not about plenty this year. It's not about all the things we make it about. It is about a person. And so here is the shepherds are just reminding us what the angel said, which that peace is a provision from God and that it's found in a person. Amen. That's what they're telling us. And then Mary says, Here's what she says. And when she ponders and treasures these things in her heart, this is what Mary tells us. She says, you cannot behold the peace of God and be hurried. This is what she says. We cannot behold the peace of God and be hurried. Think about it. You can't behold God and also be hurried. And so she ponders him. She sits and she just thinks about what it is that he has done. Now, here's the crazy thing. The reason I want to talk about the peace of God today is because what I have studied recently is that Americans lack peace. Matter of fact, prior to 2020, uh, estimates would say that one half of all Americans struggle with anxiety or peace. Um, They struggle with stress and and all the things that factor in with that. Now, here's the crazy thing is, is a recent statistic would show, um, just coming out in the last couple of months, that the the United States of anxiety um, leads all nations in stress and anxiousness and worry. Uh, We are the leading, uh, we are are leading other countries that in past probably would lead us. 70% of Americans, 68 to be exact, would say that as a result of all that's happened in 2020, they see anxiousness and worry and stress as a frequent part of their life. That, that it is something that they cannot in some ways control, which leads to um, headaches, body tension, aches and pains, the loss of energy, upset, st- uh, upset stomach and nauseousness. Does that sound like any other symptoms? It does, right? It sounds a lot like with what we're dealing with. And the reaction uh, to all of that is simply that uh, we are responding uh, oftentimes with uh, outbursts of anger, uh, mood swings, loss of appetite, um, and then a response to others that we would say is not, is not helpful. And the reality is, is all of it is triggered by stress and anxious anxiety. And so here it is, this nation that we would say is so great is really becoming just a nation of anxiousness and anxiety and worry. And my question is, is if Christ was promised 700 years ago 
And the angel proclaimed that there was a provision of peace to all people. The shepherds tell us that 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 proclamation is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And Mary says to behold him and his presence means to not be hurried and not to be worried. Then the question is, is what is it that you and I are beholding? If we know that 7 in 10, in America, uh, seven in 10 Americans are struggling with anxiousness and, and stress, listen, I, I struggle to know how it is that we continue to, to move that direction if we're beholding the presence and the power and the peace of God in our lives. Which is something for us to consider. And here's why I want you to think about this. Because when we think about peace and that it's found in the person of Jesus Christ, as we think through all of this, um, we need to realize that there are a few things that we should be thinking about. And here's number one, is that you need to know that peace is not the absence of problems, nor is it the perception of prosperity. Remember what the shepherds te- teach us? That, that it's not about having parties, and it's not about planning, and it's not about events, and it's not about parades, and it's not about pr- all these different things, presents. It's not about any of those things, but it's about a person. The question is, is we think that the perception of 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 prosperity means that, hey, maybe we have peace. Or maybe we would say in here that, well, it's the absence of problems. And here's what I want you to realize is that it's not about having different circumstances in your life that leads us to peace. At the same time, it's not about having more. It's not about being fulfilled. And I think oftentimes we look at the external circumstances and we think if we could just alter those, if we could just fix those a little bit, then we would have peace. And I would just tell you, I don't think that's the solution. And the reason why is because the person of peace that we're talking about even told us these things in John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus said these words. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Then he says this, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So the person of peace tells you that he is peace, the fulfillment of it. But he says, you're going to have troubles in this world. So if your idea of peace is the absence of problems, then he goes, you're going to miss it. Or if your idea of peace is more prosperity, then you're going to miss it. And here's the challenge is that when we think about the idea of prosperity as being our peace, then we think that if we have good health, if we have good wealth, then we could in some ways have all that we want in terms of peace. And here's the challenging thing is when I think about having health and wealth and prosperity, it reminds me of an American gospel that's being preached all across the world. And the challenge is, is that if we think that, that the gospel, the good news is about our health, about our wealth and about our prosperity, then we're putting our hope and our stock in something false. Because our hope is not contingent upon the absence of our problems or the blessings of prosperity in our life. Church, do you understand what I'm saying? Because if that is indeed the fact that we have health, wealth, and prosperity, then it means that we don't need Jesus. Or if you think that Jesus adds health, wealth, and prosperity, then what you're saying is the good news that the angels proclaimed is Jesus, the baby in the manger, plus The gifts that all the the kings brought, that the gifts weren't for him, they were for you. I don't read that in the story. See, the narrative that I read is not about us having more things. It's about Jesus saying, take heart because I am peace. And in spite of tribulation, you can take heart because I've overcome the world. Jesus says this in John chapter 14 to his disciples. He says, peace I leave with you. In John 14, 27, my peace I give to you. So Jesus says, I'm going to go away. 
He tells his disciples in John chapter 14, verse 1, he goes, hey, but take heart. And the reason he tells them that is because he goes, even though I go away, you need to realize there's provisions for you. There's provisions of my presence, and then he says, and of my peace. And then he goes on and he says, but not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now, why does Jesus say this to his disciples? I mean, why does he make statements like this? Hey, I am peace. Hey, take heart. Why does he tell them this? And he, he tells them this because he knows how quickly we can look to other solutions for our peace. And that's what I want you to realize. Guys, peace is not built on an external circumstance or provision, but on an eternal promise. It's not about external circumstances, it's about eternal promises, friends. And because God has given us eternal promises through his word, we need to realize that our hope is not built on circumstances. And a lot of us, we think right now, and we've even said to ourselves recently, if my circumstances would change, I would be more at ease. If, if my health was better, I would, be, I would be better. If my finances looked a little better, I would be better. If I could fix my loneliness situation with some relationships, I would be better. If my addiction would just subside, if it would just go away, I would be fine. We, we think, hey, my depression, my anxiousness, my worry, if I could just figure out some coping mechanism to help me function, then I'm going to be okay. If my marriage would, would improve, if my singleness would go away, I would be okay. And in some ways, we just keep looking for solutions, right? In relationships and in, in other people. For a lot of us, we think if our job and our income would change, then we would be okay. For a lot of us in here, listen, if the virus would just go away, like if this stuff, if this all this stuff we're dealing with, it just come to an end. If the media would just stop, like we say all different things. We think that peace comes when our circumstances change. And friends, here's what I just want you to realize. There's a great chance that your circumstances aren't going to change. Like there's a great chance that nothing's changing in the near future. And there's also good news that while nothing around you may be changing, it also means that the God of heaven and earth has never changed. And he is still our peace. We think right now, well, if I could just maybe control my schedule, like if we could just slow down, if we could just kind of like stop with all the craziness, less shopping, less chaos, less Amazon orders, maybe more family time, I'll have peace. And a lot of us, that's what we think peace is. If we could just get all the kids together one more time this year, if we could just have all of our family, after all this year, we haven't seen all of our family and we hadn't seen cousins and uncles and, and we hadn't got to touch base with our brother and we hadn't got to hug our grandmother, if we could just have that, that would bring us peace. And if we're not careful, we just continue to look at more. If we think that what would be peace and in some ways nostalgic is if all of our kids around the Christmas tree had dozens of presents to open, in some ways we could just buy peace and happiness and joy. That in some ways we could just lock out the rest of the world and we could just have our tiny little huddle with our nostalgic little fireplace going with a warm home with a turkey or a ham on the table and we could just say, hey, you know, isn't this peace? But if this is peace, friends, then I think we're missing the statement that Jesus is making. Take heart that while you will have tribulation, I have overcome the world. And so I just want you to understand that peace is not, peace is not found in, in external circumstances, but peace is found only in the person of Jesus Christ. 
He is peace. He is the fulfillment of peace. Matter of fact, as Paul writes to the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and following, he says this, Therefore, since we have been justified with Christ, which means to be in right standing with God, just as if you've never sinned. So if you're in right standing with God, you've been justified. And he says, by faith, and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what he's saying is, he goes, we have peace the good news that the angels proclaimed to the shepherds that they found in the manger that Mary pondered. He goes, that peace is found in the person of Jesus Christ. He is what reconciles us to God. He is the one who is our high priest. He is our appropriate sacrifice. It is verse two, through him that we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And the only way we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God is through the Prince of Peace. You remember the one that Isaiah spoke about? The wonderful counselor? The Prince of Peace. Say it with me. The Prince of Peace. The person of Jesus Christ. Which then thinks about if we, if we just said that, hey, that peace isn't found in external measures then it's found in the personal and eternal treasure of Jesus. If it's found in the treasure of Christ, then it means that we ought to pay attention to who he is and what he's done for us. Now, if you remember, Isaiah is the very one who told us that we would see uh, this child born in Bethlehem. Uh, he's going to be the one who promises us, us that. He doesn't just stop there. Later on in uh, Isaiah, uh, in chapter 53, he tells us more about the Prince of Peace. He tells us more about the fulfillment of him. Matter of fact, Isaiah chapter 53, a great passage on Jesus and really around his, his death and his burial. Um, this is what Isaiah the prophet said. In verse five, he says, but he, meaning Jesus, or if you would like to say, but he, the prince of peace, or if you would like to say, but he, the, the, um, the, the joy and the, um, the fulfillment of all of our hope, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us, what does it say? Peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Friends, that is the good news of the Prince of Peace. That is why our hope is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Here's, in essence, what Isaiah the prophet says. He goes, there's going to be the Prince of Peace, and what you're going to find, laying in a manger, and you're going to call him the Wonderful Counselor. You're going to call him the Prince of Peace. But then he goes on throughout Isaiah, and he's telling us more about the nation of Israel and how they've responded. And then he gets to the point where he says, now you need to be looking for the one who is going to be chastised on your behalf. And here's what he means. He says this, when you understand who you are in your humanity, you can understand why it was the angel's uh, would have to proclaim the good news to all of mankind. And here's why we need good news. is because when we look at the truth of God about ourselves, it's not real good news. Because the Bible will just clearly tell us a handful of things about ourselves. Number one, here's what you need to know. We need to know that Isaiah the prophet tells us that even our best day is like filthy rags before a holy God. 
What he means by that is um, our best day is compared to a woman's bad days. He goes, and what that means is it's not good news for us. The reason why is because Jeremiah tells us in Jeremiah 17, 9, he says, if you were to look inwardly at your heart, he goes, you would know that your heart is desperately sick. Matter of fact, he goes, who could understand it? What he says is, is that we have a heart problem, a condition that has been spiraling downhill ever since the beginning of time. Matter of fact, it says that sin entered the world through one man and that same sin spread to all men, Romans 5 verse 12. That it, it is a condition that every single one of us has and it is worse than any virus or any pandemic that the world has ever seen. And the reason why is because you are not exempt from it even if you are never around people. That this virus spreads to all people and it's called sin. Matter of fact, Romans chapter 3, Paul writes to the church of Rome. In Romans 3.10, he says, There is not one that is righteous, not even one. That means that none of us are ever good. And I know you're kind of going to try to convince me, like, hey, Brandon, I'm really not that bad of a person. And I would say, hey, I'm sure you're a great guy. I'm sure you're a great gal. But when you measure yourself up against a holy God, you are terrible. Matter of fact, Romans 3, 23, Paul goes on in that chapter and he goes, hey, listen, you need to know that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So here's what the bad news is, is that your hearts are desperately sick. You're deceitful. You're a schemer. You're gonna look out for yourself. You are selfish in all your ways and you pretty much do whatever is right in your own eyes is what the Proverbs and the Psalmist would tell us. And because of that, you are dead in your trespasses and sin and you are doomed, according to Romans 6.23, because the wages of sin is death. You are doomed, I am doomed, to, to, to live apart from Jesus forever. There is no hope for us unless we turn to the one who is our hope and our prince of peace. And you might ask yourself, well, why, why is there good news? And the good news is, is because, because God, being rich in mercy, lavished upon his love on us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so Christ comes as a fulfillment, as the chastisement to bring us peace. And so here's why the good news is there. The good news is not merely that you know that Jesus died. Because listen, every one of us has heard that. But the good news is fulfilled in this, that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died in your place. Friends, I sat this last week and I shared the good news with a friend of mine who is probably in his early 20s. He's walking through a handful of things together, grew up in the local church, um, has heard everything uh, there is to hear. When I ask him about if he's a sinner, he knows he's a sinner. Uh, I ask him about the solution. He knows that God sent his son, Jesus, uh, the Prince of Peace. He knows all that. Uh, and then I ask him a question. Well, if you were to die today and stand before God, what would you say if he said, why should I let you into heaven? And he says, I honestly don't know how I'd respond. And maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't know how I'd respond. I don't know how I would respond. If I were to stand before God, how would I respond? And this is, a, this is a guy who grew up in church. I mean, his parents have been in church, plugged into church, served in ministry throughout the church. And the reality is he doesn't know what the good news that's proclaimed from the angels to the shepherds that Mary pondered. 
He doesn't understand what it looked like to be justified in Christ or to know the Prince of Peace. Because his solution was, if I could just find a way to get to church and get cleaned up, if I could just control my external circumstances, if I could just put down the bottle, if I could just stop chasing women, if I could just clean myself up, then maybe I'd have peace. And friends, I think that's the answer a lot of us are searching for. And that is the moral dilemma that we have as we try to teach our kids the landscape of truth. That if you just do this, this, and this, then you would stop having so much pro- so many problems in your life. You wouldn't get in trouble in the classroom. And we think about all the ways and some ways that we can teach mechanisms for people to cope and exist and to control their external provisions and manifestations of their life. And the problem is, is we never help them understand who the prince of peace is and how to have a relationship with him and here's how you have a relationship with the prince of peace is you realize that he was pierced on your behalf and it is by his stripes you were healed and friends when that when that word is written by the prophet isaiah 700 years before i do not think for any moment even though this jewish man is writing it to uh, the people of the nation i do not think for a moment he is talking about prosperity health wealth I think he's talking about a spiritual dilemma that all of us have that can only be settled through the provision of Jesus Christ. And he goes, hey, listen, it is Christ that reconciles us to God when he bears the chastisement of God, which then begs the question, well, who is it that really put Jesus on the cross? And I can remember songs growing up, and I remember... uh, preachers and cliche statements, and I can remember even saying this early on in my ministry too, that we put Jesus on the cross. Can I just help you understand something real quickly? Our Bibles, when we read them closely, you need to know you did not put Jesus on the cross. God put his son on the cross. He was stricken, he was afflicted, and he was punished so that you and I might have peace. God chose That while he was rich in mercy towards us, he condemned his son and he placed him on the cross to reconcile us as enemies of God to himself. That's what Romans 5.10 says. Look at Romans 5.10. It says, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So what he says is, he goes, you and I were enemies of God. We were estranged. We were alienated. We are not a part of the family of God. Um, Paul would go on and say this in a couple of other letters. He would say that we were sons of disobedience. And he would even say this, friends, because our hearts are wretched and they're dark and they're deceitful, he would say, you and I are children of the devil. Pretty strong words, right? And he goes, you are lost like you were a sheep that's gone astray. But Christ, he died in your place. He's the substitute that you need to have peace and joy and good news this Christmas. And he says, you can be reconciled to God and be saved by Christ and his life. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 4 says, that is where real rest is found, is in Jesus Christ. The challenge is, is this Christmas, we think that rest is found in lots of other places than in the person of Jesus Christ. But can I just tell you that with all that's going on in the world, peace is found in Jesus alone. Why? Because Jesus is peace. And if you want peace, you need more of Jesus. Hold on, let me say it one more time. If you want peace, you need more of Jesus. 
Less of the news, less of Amazon, less presents, less parties, less parades, less all of these other things that you think will somehow settle your soul. You need more of Jesus. The best thing that's happened in my life, and you need to hear it, is I turned off the TV in April. The best thing that happened in my life prior to COVID, I got off of Facebook. The best thing that happened in my life is I daily abide in the word of truth. Where in a world that continually tells me lies, I know where truth is found. And I live there. And you should too. And here's why. Because if you want peace, you should aspire to be what you expect your leaders to be. Let me say that one more time. If you want peace, you should aspire to be and live the same way you expect your pastor to be. If you expect something of me, you need to know that God requires it of you just as much. And so whatever it is that you think I should do, you should do all the more. And you ought to ask for grace to increase in all of your weakness. Because peace is found in Jesus Christ. And if you look to me and you go, something's different about him. He's got peace in the midst of all of chaos. Can I tell you, the only reason I have peace is because I've made a plan to pursue peace. And listen, peace is something you pursue. You need to understand that. Peace is something you pursue. Peace isn't something that you just get because you say a prayer. Peace is something you pursue. Proverbs 12, 20 says this, Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan peace have joy. Those who plan peace have joy. Psalm 34, 14 says this, Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. It's something you seek. It's something you ponder. It's something like Mary did, you treasure. Friends, it is something that the church ought to be pursuing with a vigorous nature. The deal is, is this, it's like, hey friends, you and I should pursue physical health and spiritual health. We ought to be disciplined in our routines. The very thing that keeps you from being godly is the same thing that keeps me from being godly. And here's our ceiling every time. It's our lack of discipline. You and I are lazy and slothful at our core. We are overweight because we are lazy and undisciplined. No amens there, right? But isn't it true? The reality is that's why we are spiritually weak. We are undisciplined. We choose so many other things, but the reality is is those who have peace, they seek it, they pursue it, they run hard after it. They treasure the Lord of hosts. If peace is found in the person, the question is, is why aren't you pursuing him more, friends? If peace is found in a person, why are you running hard after him? Daily. Not because your journey group makes you, not because your church leaders are forcing you, because you love the Prince of Peace. Because you know where good and godly counsel is found in the wonderful counselor. You don't need other counselors. You have the counselor. He says, here's the good news. The gospel, live in it. Be strengthened by it, friends. What are you being strengthened by? Dr. Phil, really? By God's grace, Oprah's off the air. 
Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Romans 8, 6, Paul writes, he says, for to say... The mind on flesh is death. Friends, that's where we set our minds. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Guys, I don't know about you, but my mind is prone to lie to me. My flesh will lead me astray. But when we find peace in the person of Christ, we experience his mercy and his grace and his kindness. We bear the fruit of peace. He is where our hope is found. Guys, I don't know about you, but the reason that we worry and stress and the reason we lack peace is because we feel really anxious. Can I just tell you something real quickly? Something I have to remind myself and teach my children. Feelings are real, but they're not always reliable. A great way that I heard it this last week, last week in Regeneration on Monday night, as a young lady said, feelings are our, are, are, are guide, are, are, are a gauge for us, but they're not our guide. So our feelings are a good gauge. They help us kind of know where we are, but they're not our guide. Friends, what is our guide? The word of God, the Prince of Peace. That's our guide, which is crazy because Paul says, if you wanna have peace, this is what you would do. You, in a sense, flee from anxiety and anxiousness and worry. So he says this in the church of Philippi in Philippians 4, 4 through 8. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And he says this, do not be anxious about anything. You should underline that. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, amen, the peace of God, the presence of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then he says, finally, brothers, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there are anything excellent, if anything worthy of praise, think about these things. My question is this, what is trustworthy? What is true? What is honorable? What is worthy of thinking on? The Prince of Peace. Jesus. That's who we think about. That's who we meditate on. That's how we walk in the spirit. That's how we set our minds above on things that are true, which means... What are you setting your mind on? Friends, turn off the TV. Get off of social media. Enjoy the presence of the power and the peace of God in your life by fixing yourself after him. Plan now to pursue peace this Christmas. Maybe you've been pursuing something different. Hey, listen, just ask the Lord to help guide you to all truth. Amen, amen, amen. And here's why, because peace it's not something that we claim to possess and then fail to express. And I think that's the trouble with the American church. Oh yeah, I've got the peace of God in my heart. Really? Why, why do you struggle um, to express it? I mean, it, it's not something we, sit, we claim we have. I have a relationship with Christ and then it's never expressed. And here's the crazy thing is Hebrews 12, 14 says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness that without which no one will see the Lord. That means if you and I don't exhibit peace, nobody's gonna see where the Prince of Peace is. The only reason that others saw the peace of God on that starry night is because the angels proclaimed to the shepherds and the shepherds went and they found peace as a person. And it says, and then they went out and they shared it with other people. Friends, that's what we do. When you behold the peace of God, you share it. And not only do you share it, but you possess and express the very nature of God in your life. Romans 12, 18 says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with all. So I think about Christmas. I think about what it should be, about giving and receiving, about eating and laughing and loving, and about being in the presence of others, about being merry, 
about being compassionate and patient and forgiving, about expressing love and times of rejoicing over the Christ child. That's what it is. The problem is, is that as I look at Christmas, I don't see that oftentimes, especially this year. I see lives being ruled by anxiousness, worry, and fret. People flooding parking lots and peace seems to vanish. Anxiety and patience seem to be what wins out in parking lots. People struggle with loneliness and depression. Selfishness abounds. Families fight and quarrel with one another, even to the point they just avoid each other altogether at Christmas. Reviling floods our minds. How do I get them back? We struggle to be thankful. Anger is present. Division permeates and peace vanishes. And that, my friends, is not what Christmas is about. And so I have one question for you. How can you claim to know peace and exhibit no peace? Friends, how can you claim to exhibit or no peace and exhibit no peace? How, how can you claim that? We can't, can we? And so friends, may we leave with that thought in mind. And may we just ask ourselves, what's it look like to put on Christ and to exhibit peace? And I'll close with these words. Colossians 3, 12 through 15 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all, love. Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Friends, that's what Christmas is about. If you need a reminder, you don't just need to go read Luke 2, but go read Colossians 3, 12 through 15. That's what Christmas is about. But it's only when you know the Prince of Peace, the wonderful Counselor, and our mighty, mighty, mighty God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I pray, God, that you, Lord, would abound in grace and mercy in our lives where we have focused on lots of other things besides you. We have allowed our lives to be ruled by fear and control and manipulation from other people. We have fretted, we have worried, we have lived in anxiousness, not because things around us aren't real, but because we have failed to, to trust in you, the Prince of Peace. Lord, may we pursue you and make plans to pursue you daily. Lord, we need truth and we know it's found in you. And so, Lord, would you help us to think about and meditate and proclaim the word of God in our lives. Help us to exhibit the peace in which we proclaim to know. We need your help. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.